As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the game podcast from The Times. Football is back. We're looking ahead to the return of the EFL season with huge moves in the Championship League One and League Two, not just in terms of players, but managers too. How will that affect everything? This is your guide to the return of football. So, football is back. I'm Hugh Wisencroft and the Game Podcast is back as well. Thank you for joining us alongside me for the next half an hour or so. Just a quick addition to look ahead to the start of the new season. Tom Clark and Gregor Robertson. Gentlemen, how are you? Is Euros fever now fully cured? I don't know whether it's fully cured, Hugh. I'm okay. I'm a bit jaded. I'm going to rival Gregor in the tiredness stakes. I think he might come on bleating and moaning about being a new parent and how tired he is. <laughs> but you should you should try working Tokyo hours whilst living in the UK and covering the Olympics, mate. That's that's the real challenge. So yeah, I'm a little bit jaded, Hugh, and a bit tired. And also, I can't believe football's back. It's here already. How has that happened? The, the EFL season is here. Lincoln are playing a game on Saturday. What's going on? I can't quite believe it. It is crazy. I mean, it's starting to feel, isn't it, like there's too much football, Gregor? Yeah, it feels like a hazy dream. I mean, I don't think that's only to do with uh, parenthood. I think you know, every any year there's a there's an international tournament, it feels like it comes around quick, but this year just seems ridiculous. <laughs> Having said all that, I, I'm still excited. I've still been mm. doing my kind of research for the Football League and... And, uh, you know, trying to make some predictions, you know, how much I love them. Uh, And (laughs) yeah, I'm still excited. I still think there's uh, much to look forward to this season. I think Gregor's right. Once you start looking into it a little bit, I've been very consumed with the Olympics. But once I started doing a bit of research, reminding myself of the movers and shakers that have been going on, the managerial changes, you start going, oh, wow, this is going to be really interesting. And this league's going to be fascinating. And oh, it's going to be tight in the championship this season. And you realise actually give it a few games and we'll be right, right back into it. And if that doesn't work, I'm basically planning on just watching a highlights reel of Jordan Pickford's performances from the Euros and that will get my juices going for sure. Funny thing is, I was going to ask, I wonder how the players must be feeling because there's always been that talk about too much football, particularly in the EFL actually, rather than the Premier League because of the number of teams in each division. And you feel like going into this in a couple of divisions that you feel like there are too many teams. But Gregor, you all know from playing in the EFL many seasons. The first week for the players, having come off the back of preseason, what are the emotions? What are the feelings like? Excitement. Just pure excitement. It's, you know, the, the preseason this season, I suppose, has been a little bit condensed, but it's always a time of year. It's, it's strange. Every every year I I, I have this, this time of year, I say one of the things I miss most about playing football is preseason uh, because you feel in the healthiest fittest state of of health that you've ever uh, that you're ever you'll ever be in and 
you know, you're just rearing to go for the start of the season. So I think that's despite all the any fears of tiredness and, and uh, you know, the exhaustion of the last year, the players will still be rearing to go. The fans will be raring to go as well because it's a different season, a different experience to the last 18 months or so. The fans are back in football stadiums. I think that's just massive for football full stop because um, I think there's a reality to it. Football is nothing without the fans. Do they make a massive difference though, Tom, to, to the team's performance? Given what we've seen last year, was, was last season for many teams a, a massive anomaly? It was a little bit in lots of senses. I've heard, I've spoken to a few people at clubs in the football league, and anomaly is actually the word that's been used quite a lot about last season. And it's interesting to hear Gregor talk about preseason. A few people I've spoken to have talked about this preseason, despite Euros being a little bit like a kind of reset type of preseason for clubs in the football league because they've not had that rapid turnaround that we had um, with the COVID affected seasons last time around and things like that, and having to work out how things were going to going to be. So. Yeah, last season was a bit of an anomaly in that sense. I think when it comes to fans, we only need to reflect on the playoffs that we were talking about in the Football League. And I I can think back to that horrendous, horrendous 90 minutes I had as a Lincoln fan watching Lincoln play Sunderland at the stadium light with 10,000 fans, not even close to their capacity, roaring them on and what a massive difference that made to them and watching my team look completely overawed and slightly intimidated, particularly in that first half. So... Fans definitely, definitely have a massive part to play. And also they have a massive part to play financially as well. That's going to be really interesting, I think, to to think about and to look at. Because I know I've spoken to a few people who are a bit worried that they won't have the same amount of fans returning, even if you know we return to a world in which we're allowed to go back without that many constraints and we can try and get full capacities in stadiums. I know some clubs are worried that they will just have some fans that won't return because They'll have had 18 months where maybe their own finances have become a bit tighter and they suddenly think this is a this is a pastime, this is a hobby I can't afford anymore. You know, the season ticket, the travel to the game. It's a big commitment, you know, for me, for myself. I've I've saved money in the last 18 months, not getting that daily Saturday train to Lincoln and back to meet my dad. My dad will have saved money on the petrol front journey across from Manchester. You know, it, and we're fortunate enough that we're red, you know, chomping at the bit and raring to go again. But there will be some fans who will have just gone, I can't afford to do this again. So it, it, the fans have a twofold role to play, a massive impact on the pitch, but it's going to be really interesting off the pitch as to what effect that will have because we know what a big a big part that match day revenue has to play for these clubs, particularly in the Football League. think fans, Gregor, will be detracted in any way for coming back to football. I mean, look at what's gone on in the last year in terms of the abuse that we've seen from football fans booing of the taking of the knee. You know, I personally can't wait to go back. I'm, I'm like trying to reserve days to get the train up to Manchester to watch my team as much as possible because I just feel like it's time to remember what it's like going to football and actually value it and make the effort and spend the money. But I know not everyone's in that position. I, I, I don't know. Do you think fans will be put off by going to the football, or will they be more encouraged than ever to come back and support their local side? I mean, I think as Tom's alluded to, there's going to be kind of individual circumstances and, you know, it's been a tumultuous year. People have lost jobs, so some of you won't be able to do it for for that reason alone. But then there's also going to be clubs, you know, just picking out the odd club, like Barnes the last season had a remarkable campaign and, the, you know, playoff, their highest finish in, in decades, basically. And they missed it all. 
uh, you know, a, a few got in for the for the playoff game against against Swansea. But you know, I think they'll be eager to come back. And after even you know, we kind of bask in the afterglow of that. And you look at someone like Charlton, who have had years of fans really staying away, boycotting essentially because of their owner, but a change of ownership during lockdown and you know, a new manager, a bit of hope going into the season. The Valley will be bouncing this year, I think. Uh, AFC Wimbledon of a new stadium. There are other reasons for fans to kind of desperately want to go back to, the, to supporting their club. Uh, so I think it depends on the kind of individual circumstances and, and really probably what their hopes and expectations are for the season ahead. The other thing that the past 18 months has done as well is it's, it's changed massively how we view football and how we follow football. You know, we talked about it in the last year or so that with covering the Premier League in a professional sense, I certainly felt that kind of endless, there's a game, there's a game, there's a game every single day. And that kind of accessibility we had of these matches always being on telly. But within the Football League prism, a lot of fans, myself included, have got used to these you know, as I've said at times, fairly poor streaming services, but fans have got used to that. And there will also be a challenge for clubs to to look at that going forward because they might have to adopt that into their into their revenue stream, into how they package up offers to, to fans for season memberships that include, okay, if you don't want to come to a game, you'll get a code for the match instead if you want to sit at home or Maybe the weather's Baltic and you just don't fancy it in in December or, you know, you just don't know. I'm not saying that all the fans I speak to and when I put messages on Twitter about, are you looking forward to the season? The unanimous thing is I can't wait to go back. I really hope I get to go back. I really get to hope I get to take my son to a game. That's all I want from this season. But I just think we're going to see a new reality. I don't think it's just going to be, we've all got second jabs. We're all fine. Let's pile back in. Football cracks on as normal. Well, one thing that could return, you know, there's been quite a, you know, a harmonious feeling amongst football fans. You know, we've had the great uh, gestures from Jordan Henderson helping the NHS, Marcus Rashford. You know, there was a feeling in football. It was all warm and fuzzy. It was exactly as you wanted it, Tom. You know, we got to the final of the Euros over the summer. It couldn't have been better. There was that real togetherness. Now, when fans go back into football grounds, they do change. We've got to admit they do change. And I wonder whether fans will view football differently, whether they will just enjoy the experience. And like you say, Tom, just all get along from here on out. Or will we see the vitriol of old in the EFL, the fans with as much might, power and passion, if you want, as ever before? What do you think? I, th- I think we probably will. I think we probably will. I was, I was reflecting on this when I was thinking about returning to a stadium with my dad who, as I've said before, is a very mild-mannered man, doesn't like confrontation. And I can already see, you know, he's talked about, I can't wait for the match day experience to come back just to be able to go to the pub before the game. And I can already see 10 minutes in, linesman, that was what on earth was that? You're bloody rubbish. In a more kind of slightly extreme version of that. But that's part of it. That's part of it. I think that's fine. What I think would be nice is if we kept a broader when we step back from the game after the game's finished, when, if we can keep that level of appreciation for having gone through the difficult times, that would be nice. If we, if we don't lose sight of the tough times we went through, both in wider society and within the game of football, so that afterwards, all the, you know, at times disgusting nonsense that comes out on both on social media and after the game and out of the stadium, Greg is already smirking, thinking, you're so naive, Tom. 
You're so naive. You've got no chance. <laughs> Even when there was reduced capacity crowds, we heard it. Like, how many times did you hear the commentator saying, uh, sorry for any language you may have heard there. <laughs> <laughs> We're living in dreamland. That's part of it. That's part of the, the experience for fans. They go there and they vent a little, little spleen sometimes. Uh, but I agree. As long, it, it would be good if, and I'm sure most supporters will feel when they leave or when they're in the stadium, that kind of communal experience, God, I've missed this. And I'm sure they will appreciate it greatly. Financially, we've mentioned it already briefly, clubs were in a stricken state, you know, begging for a bailout during the last 18 months or so. And one of the big reasons was that the lack of fans inside stadium was a huge blow to their their accounts. Um, now fans are going to be back. I just wondered, Gregor, financially, where clubs are now? Because some clubs seem to be spending some clubs don't, and I wonder where all the money's coming from. I think it's going to take probably a couple of years until we see clubs emerge from this. Most clubs are, are still really struggling. I think spending, we'll see by the end of the transfer window, spending, certainly championship will be down. You know, you look at last season, the fact that Norwich and Watford bounced straight back, two clubs with £45 million parachute payments. Again, this season, if you're looking at we're going to come on to the championship and look at who are clear favourites as the relegated Premier League teams, that's even more than ordinary times. That That is such a huge foot up because... And then you've got to look at the profit and sustainability rules that the EFL are, are clamping down on and clubs being in transfer embargoes for past breaches of those rules. So absolutely, still a, a straightened financial picture. And yes... Having fans back in the in, in the stadiums will be a huge boost, a huge relief, but it's going to take a long time for that to to take effect. Uh, so I, I would imagine it being being quite a, a you know a summer of, of parsimony. I think Gregor's right. I mean, I, I don't want to be doom and gloom on a on a podcast which is supposed to be pre- previewing the new season with great excitement, but I think there is a danger of some clubs being really complacent when it comes to finances. We've got to remember, it wasn't all that long ago that we were doing podcasts talking about the future of the game. Clubs asking for help, financial help from the government, saying we're months from going to the wall if we don't get any help. Um, and whilst Greg is right that the championship spending has been frugal by comparison with previous seasons, there are clubs lower down the pyramid, in League One in particular, spending a hell of a lot of money in comparison with with their rivals. And got to be careful, clubs at that level of you know, being called hypocrites, I think, because if things don't go right, and we, and that's and that's kind of what I'm alluding to before with football not being the same, and it, just because we're hoping that the world's going to go back to a better, more easier place, we can't just pretend that things are going to go back to the way they were because there's talks about winter being difficult with COVID and flu, and we don't know how that's going to impact the game, and so we don't want to be in a position where clubs have spent money during the summer haven't really planned and have been a bit willfully ignorant to the bigger picture and we're back going oh we need like we need help again because then the big clubs will just go in the premier league and on the government will go well you know you were spending loads of money in the summer and you thought everything was fine the, i think the clubs have got to be really really careful are they spending too much at some clubs Gregor? tom's right in the, in the in league 1 there are there are clubs that are spending some serious money for the level. Uh, Ipswich and Wigan, who've both uh, got new new investors, American and Bahraini, I believe in, I believe uh, owners are spending some big money. And you know, well, that can be seen as really exciting. I think Tom's right. After after the the year we've been through, uh, a club particularly like Wigan need to probably 
you know, rein in their excitement a little bit and, and look for some realism and some sustainability. So it's true, you know, we've lived through this period where there's been talk of a reset and there are still, you know, discussions of there's been the, the, the fan-led review, um, you know, findings that have come out of that have been have been broadly encouraging. It's still a an important thing on the agenda about how we make football, particularly in the leagues, more sustainable. At the same time, <laughs> when these new owners come in, they're they're fiercely ambitious, and so I, you know I think there are pockets where there's some been some big spend. Fulham, for example, you know spent what will be twelve million pounds on Harry Wilson. But really, you look around elsewhere, there's not been many big signings like that, particularly in the Championship. So, I think broadly speaking, partly because of the EFL spending rules, partly because of the the times we're living in, it's cutting their cloth accordingly a little bit more. I just don't want football to forget all the big conversations we've had. And this goes right up to the Premier League. You know, we had Project Big Picture, European Super League. We were all up in arms about that and stealing the game away from us. And, you know, Hugh, you're quite rightly talking about fans and how brilliant that's going to be to come back. But these issues aren't going away. I mean, and, you know, Gregor alludes to Wigan there. They're a classic example of a club that have experienced great highs and huge lows and real financial difficulty in, in recent seasons. Winning the FA Cup a few years ago, looking like they were on the brink of going down to League Two last season, just about surviving. And then this summer, they're spending what is believed to be 8000 to £10,000 a week, like on Charlie White from Sunderland, who any, everyone thought was going to go up a division to the championship, having been one of the top scorers in League One last season. And all of a sudden, League One fans are going, Charlie White's going to Wigan. Why is he? Oh, it's because he's getting loads of money from Wigan. So it's just things like that that I just don't want football to get complacent about. It surprised me to hear the chief exec of the EFL, Rick Parry, basically rubbishing the idea of an independent regulator in football. And it was a really weird thing to hear. He basically said, oh, we just need to be more transparent about our spending. Well, there needs to be more openness in football. You know, there are, as Gregor points out, new sustainability rules, but... The idea that we can govern ourselves, we don't need an independent regulator, is a well, it's too late for that, isn't it? I certainly think so. And as I said before, I think Rick, pa- Rick Parry has huge support among the, the kind of rank and file of the EFL, certainly, you know, owners and, and chairmen. But I just, I can't see how we can ever forget the, that he was someone who was willing to cede control of, of English football to, to the big six. Um, so, I think he has a point in that when an independent regulator is spoken about, it's still quite vague. The, you know what exactly, how exactly they would enforce rules, and you know what the, what the parameters of that would be. So, you know, these are things that have to be ironed out. But I think the fact that I think I think basically English football has proven that it's incapable. English football clubs have proven they're incapable of self governance, and you know clearly an independent regulator would regulator would diminish the purpose of the EFL. The EFL claim to be a league organiser, but at the same time do a lot to enforce 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 rules. So, you know, I think they're a bit of a bit betwixt in between. And I think Rick Parry probably recognizes that. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts calendar double tap to open breakfast with anna from 10 to 11 and get on with your day accessibility there's more to iphone a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change 
needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Right, let's quickly look ahead then to a bit of the action. Gregor, I know you've made your predictions in the Times already. More to come in League One and League Two with the Championship itself. Fulham, Sheffield United and West Brom drop down, of course. Peterborough, Hull and Blackpool come up from League One. So many stories in the Championship, Gregor. You know, you've got Wayne Rooney and Derby, real challenges for them. The question is, will vertical football work at West Brom? Marco Silva has a chance of redemption with Fulham. You've got Slavisi Ikanovic looking for a third promotion from the championship with Sheffield United. Scott Parker's losing key players probably by the end of the window at Bournemouth. Swansea City now have Russell Martin. They've lost Steve Cooper and Miles Moore. What have you got your eyes on? All of that. <laughs> I, think, I mean, the, 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 the managerial changes at the, the relegated clubs are, are pretty fascinating. Valerian Ishmael, the former Barnsley manager at West Brom, you know, how is he going to get a team of highly, highly paid a little bit more kind of eight miles on the clock than than Barnsley's players uh, had. Players with bigger egos, Premier League experience. How is he going to get them playing this relentless, direct, pretty unique style of football? How are they going to react to that? If they if they're willing to get on board, they've got a great chance because we saw his impact last season. Yukanovic, as you say, at Sheffield United. Um, already had promotions at Watford and Fulham on his CV, but you know. Filling Chris Wilder's shoes is a big deal, and I think I would not be surprised if there was a bit of a kind of period of acclimatization for fans, players, everyone involved there. Um, but they've got the same squad as they had last season, which is going to be very strong in the, in the championship. They've, I think they've only lost John Lundstrom to Rangers, who who refused to sign a new contract. Uh, and Fulham, Marco Silva, he's got his detractors, or he's had his detractors certainly. Um, but again, they've they've got a ridiculous squad. They've got, you know, it's littered with promotion medals. Some have got two promotion medals, um, and they are, uh, as I say, they've spent twelve million on, on Harry Wilson, who's proved to be a brilliant player at this level. So, uh, I would throw Bournemouth into that too because they still they have another year of parachute payments. They have Scott Parker at the helm too, um, who's undoubtedly a massive upgrade on. Um, on either Tyndall or Jonathan Woodgate, who were two odd choices last season. And they still have a squad on paper that is full of Premier League standard players. David Brooks, they have an excellent squad. Um, so I just cannot look beyond those those four teams for the top two places. And this year, particularly, the difference that those parachute payments make is enormous. Do you not think Ismail will have to adapt the tactics slightly. I know, obviously, we we all loved watching Barnsley last season just because it was so unique. But 
with the quality of players that he's got, obviously we don't know whether it looks like they'll probably lose Pereira and probably Sam Johnson, but you want to maybe keep the ball a little bit more in a more possession-based way, wouldn't you, with those kind of quality of players, rather than doing that kind of deliberate kick the ball forward in order to press, tie up the pit that Barnsley was so famous for. I just, it, it concerns me slightly from a West Brom point of view that you have a, a very talented squad, a very talented manager, but the marriage just won't be there. That's that's my only pondering, if you like, if I can be sitting on the fence and be a bit diplomatic about it. I'm just not fully bought into the two of them being a perfect match. The thing is, he had to tailor his tactics at Barnsley last season because initially, when teams came onto him, there was more space to to get forward and to to break into, and then teams cottoned on. And as you know, as I wrote about last season, a lot of teams matched them up. Yes, West Brom have players who can keep keep possession and and uh, you know dominate the ball a little bit more, but that's not really the way he wants to play. It's all about mm. high intensity, full throttle, getting the ball forward as quickly as possible, and having you know, lots of speed and strength up t- up top. Um, it's going to be fascinating to watch. I've got an eye on QPR, got an eye on Middlesbrough as well, maybe even Nottingham Forest. I think it's going to be an incredible season in the championship, to be honest. Go on, Tom. No, I just think it's interesting that you raised the point about Middlesbrough with Neil Warnock still going, still going for a promotion. I just, what interests me about the championship this season is, is the managerial changes that Gregor talks about. Yes, you've got these clubs coming down Yes, you've got someone like Bournemouth who had a season last season that was a bit underwhelming given the talented squad they've got. But it just feels quite open to me, the championship this season. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a kind of Warnock, quite solid, quite hard to beat type club do quite well. Um, in a slight contrast to last season when it was just the teams that came down, plus Brentford, who obviously stayed, kept Thomas Frank, kept the majority of the squad, added Ivan Tony. You know their comparison this season maybe would have been Swansea, but they've lost their manager, lost some of the players that they had on loan. It just feels quite wide open to me the championship this season. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple of shocks um, towards getting into the kind of March time when you're going, how the hell have they got up there? And it'll just be because kind of wily old experience types like Warnock. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see Borough up there at all. Absolutely, and it's the contrast too. You know, we talked about those. Those changes at the top, you know, for the the, the favourites, shall we say. Then you've got Neil Warnock. Then you've got Mick McCarthy, who both showed last season there's plenty of life left in them. You've got put Michael O'Neill at Stoke, still, you know, a very experienced. um, He's Stoker kind of cutting their cloth as well, but he's a very clever, you know, very astute manager. Chris Hutton has had a bit of time now in Nottingham Forest, not really made many signings. Brennan Johnson, who uh, Tom knows all about from Lincoln is highly coveted, but I think Forrest want to try and keep hold of him and he will be like a new signing for them. But they're, you know, they're four really experienced managers, particularly in the championship. And I wouldn't be surprised to see one of them, one at least one of them, pushing for perhaps even the top two. League one was very tight last season. Third to seventh, five teams were separated by just six points at the end of the season. I think Sunderland are going to feel like this should be their year, but I mean, they threw it away, didn't they? Two wins in the last 11 at the end of last year. Lincoln City boss Michael Apperton, we know, has undergone treatment for testicular cancer during the summer. I don't know if that will affect their preparations at all, but they, of course, Lincoln City played some great football, as a friend of mine told me about uh, during last season <laughs> uh, once or twice. Um, I'll ask you then, Tom, what are you looking forward to in League One? Well, I mean, it becomes almost a cliche for any fan of a club in League One say this every season but 
honestly, forget the Premier League and the Championship. This is where the unpredictability is because you've got the teams that have come down incredibly strong. I mean, Wickham have signed Sam Vokes as to play up front in League One. Sunderland have signed Alex Pritchard to join Aidan McGeady. You've got two creative players there with experience and talent that probably surpasses League One levels, let's be honest. You've got a, a massive club like Sheffield Wednesday with Darren Moore undergoing a complete reboot. Rotherham will be very strong again. And then, you know, the, the clubs that were there and thereabouts, I think Lincoln have done some decent business. I think will be okay, but it'll it's still quite a young squad. We've not got the star loan players that we had last season, like Brennan Johnson and Morgan Rogers. Greg is smiling. I'm already playing doing it down. He's playing down already, the already. Already playing it down. Yeah, I'll be happy with 10th. Gregor alluded to them before, Ipswich. Ipswich have made some very, very good signings. Very, very smart signings at League One level. And in Paul Cook, they've got an excellent manager, I think. For me, they're the favourites. I wouldn't say favourites to win the league because it's so unpredictable, but they're the, they're, they'd be the team that I'd tip for promotion. Just because I think he came in during last season, I think sometimes at League One and League Two level, it helps a manager to come in have a bit of time to assess things, particularly with a club like Ipswich that have gone through such a tumultuous period over a long time. He's allowed to assess the players he's got, work out what he needs. They had new owners come in. I think they can hit the ground running and I think they'll be they'll be really strong along with Sunderland. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, my boys will be quietly in mid-table, maybe push for the playoffs if we're lucky. I think, yeah, undoubtedly Ipswich are the favourites. You look at, Joe Piggott from Wimbledon, Connor yeah. Chaplin from Barnsley, brilliant. Macaulay Bond from QPR on loan. Scott Fraser was brilliant at MK Dons last season. And Rakeem Harper, half a million quid from West Brom. He's yeah, he, serious he's talent, that guy. Serious as well. potential, yeah. So they they have to be favourites. The only thing is that Paul Cook kind of was pretty scathing about a lot of his players last season. You know, they were on the fringes of the playoffs for a long time. He still had a good chance of getting in the playoffs and he was pretty scathing about them. So he's cleared out a lot of them, but not all of them. Um, so that's one question mark. I also I also think MK Dons and, you know, they've they've just lost Russell Martin to Swansea City. Uh, played some pretty amazing, unique football for League One. They had, I think at one stage they had the highest possession level in Europe. <laughs> season three. It, it's looked like a different sport really for League One they just keep the ball play it from the back it's, it's kind of dogmatic um, he's gone to Swansea City now a week before the start of the season but they'd made some smart signings too Mo Isa from Peterborough Scott Twine who is the master of the long ranger um, Max Waters who, who joined Cardiff for a million quid from Crawley last season not quite happened from there Troy Parrott Spurs youngster He'd assembled a good squad, and Dean Lewington, long term, you know, he's played—I don't know—what was it, eight hundred odd games for them now. He's taking caretaker charge. He might get a chance to to make that job his, uh, or they might bring in a you know another young kind of progressive manager. I think no matter having lost uh, Martin, they've got a chance. Very quickly, Gregor, give us a preview of your piece on League Two. It's Bradford City. I think they're the favourites for in League Two. Derek Adams. Um, who achieved a minor miracle with Morecambe last season. Morecambe, perennial relegation favourites, won the league to play a final. Um, but then he jumped ship to Bradford, obviously a huge club at the level. Um, he's made some smart signings as well. Um, Salford, every year you've got to see Salford are in, in the mix. Gary Boyer's a you know, huge ambition. Gary Boyer, um, 
made a very strange loan move. He was their fourth manager last season. Made a very strange loan move from from Derby County's academy, but that's been made permanent. He's a good manager at the level. Won promotion with Blackpool in the past. Um, Forest Green Rovers, interesting. They've they've hired two former FA youth coaches and Rob Edwards and Richard Kyle. Um, they've got a good squad. They've made the playoffs two of the last three seasons, and these guys are hoping they're going to, you know, their coaching abilities are going to draw a bit more from them. Blayton Orient hired Kenny Jacket, really experienced. They've got, you know, uh, American investors as well. A lot of ambition there. There are many teams with Dwayne Barton at Bristol Rovers. He's <laughs> Bristol obviously Rovers. got some. He's got some off-field issues, obviously, to contend with. But he's been backed. He's signed eleven new players, some pretty eye-catching ones as well. So you know, there's. It's very very hard to to call. The only yeah. the only thing you can call is Swindon Town are in an absolute state. They until two weeks ago had no manager, players weren't being paid, they were in a mess, they were on the brink, and there's they finally had a takeover gone through. They finally appointed a manager, Ben Garner, former Bristol Rovers manager, but he's really not even got a, a squad yet. He's still got to assemble a squad, and there's a few days until the season starts. So big job on his hands there. Get your boots, Gregor. Uh, the only thing that we can say is it's going to be an unpredictable season as ever in the EFL. And to, to end, finally, it's going to be a totally new ball game, isn't it, lads? You know what I'm talking about? 45 wow. years of mitre footballs in the EFL wow. coming to an end. Unbelievable. Really? God, I've been so engrossed with climbing and sailing and all that kind of stuff. That completely passed <laughs> me by. Wow. So it might make for a totally new brand of football. Who knows? You know, these new balls Wee. might be conducive to Tiki Taka. All I'm saying, Pep Guardiola influence in the EFL once again. There's loads of Tiki Taka that goes on in the football league. There's <laughs> loads of great football, I'm telling you. Yeah, loads for us to talk about over the coming weeks as well. Gentlemen, Tom Clark, Gregor Robertson, thank you for being with me for a quick preview and look ahead to the start of the EFL season. And we'll be back next week, will we, Tom, to look ahead to the Premier League as well. So stay tuned from here on out. And remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. And make sure you're subscribed. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to get started. We'll see you soon. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.